0: Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All
1: opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit
0: Acquire'sFunds.com.
1: Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. And we're live, 10.30 a.m. West Coast, 1.30 p.m. East Coast, 5.30 UTC, 12.30 in Bill's neck of the woods, Chai Town. What's happening, gentlemen?
0: Zero eyeballs.
1: Zero eyeballs.
0: <laughs> they're coming. <laughs> they're on the come. Negative 10.
1: But there are folks listening at home who've just had that wonderful intro music and now they're getting this.
0: Uh, how jealous are we of them?
2: <laughs> oh. They're probably uh, better off just listen to that on loop
1: for an hour. Three eyeballs. Yeah. Grace Mesa. How We Do It. It's called cool. Great song. Shout out to the dedicated three. <laughs> Here we go. 15. Chapel Hill. Brad Schultz, first man in the house.
0: Who's using a VPN to make us think that there's
1: more than 10? I appreciate you. Evanstown, Toronto, Bangalore. I love it. Nigeria, Ottawa, Jakarta. Come on. In the house.
0: Wow. Worldwide.
1: Worldwide. Worldwide
0: uh you asked me what's going on i nothing just you know hanging my professional reputation on a shit co. other
1: than that nah, everything's Gee, crazy. wells fargo has fallen a long way that it's now regarded as a shit co. The that fall was fall from grace that was one of buffett's wonderful <laughs> companies not that long ago
0: nope yeah it's a I bad know. company bad manager can't own it
1: bad dog
2: <sighs> yeah that's that's a fall from grace
1: is that your topic? You you you're going to talk uh, Wells Fargo, and uh, I thought you had another interesting know. one there too.
0: I might I might rant about how this uh, this notion of uh, you know you earn the returns that a business returns over time. I may just rant about that because I think this is one of these good ideas that's been taken far 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 too far.
1: I love that idea. I love discussing it. I love the. I think I'll, do, I'll go there. Then. I'm interested to hear it. I think we should get a Wells' update too.
2: Yeah, I, I want to hear, hear your thesis on why Buffett Munger missed out on the decay of Wells.
1: A couple of I good mean, topics yeah. there. All right. Yeah. What about you, JT? What's What's on the menu today?
2: Uh, well, I'm going to talk about why Isaac Asimov would say that maybe Toby's a genius. <laughs> I should start with that. Now, now
1: I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah. Because I love Isaac Asimov. About- Hard yeah, science fiction. He,
2: he, he loves you too. <laughs> That's good. Allegedly, How about you, Toby? Hey. What, what, do you, what do you got today?
1: Yeah, a little uh, article out from, uh, I'm sorry, it's Christina Nope, I forget who she writes for. It could be Bloomberg. But she's spoken to some quants at BlackRock who say that value is dead. Everybody should move on from value. And I'm here to endorse that sentiment. Value is dead. Everybody should move <laughs> on from value. Who wants yeah. to go first?
2: Jake, why don't you tell us why Toby's a genius?
1: I'm very nervous right. about this.
2: I will right after this. We haven't, <laughs> we didn't really do the intro.
1: Whose intro is it?
2: I no, guess I don't it's know. mine. We, we all did I it together.
1: JT, you do it. We haven't had you for a while.
2: All right. Welcome to Value After Hours. I'm here with my superb guest hosts, as you always, Toby and Bill. That's, That's a, a terrible intro.
1: <laughs> That's the casual intro.
2: First yeah. of all, we already did the intro when we announced our topics. Jake just called us guest hosts. I'm mangled. What's the- going on next? Uh, yeah, you got demoted down to a guest host. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve it. All right, let's let's jump into it. I'm gonna start off with uh, with a quote from Isaac Asimov. Okay, and he says. The individual molecules of a gas move er- quite erratically and randomly. No one can predict the direction of motion of a single molecule at any particular time. But you can predict the total behavior of the gas very accurately using the gas laws. So uh, Asimov in in the Foundation series, which uh, is being hopefully made into something decent. I think Apple's the one who took that on, right? Um, looking forward to that one. But Yeah, that'll make me subscribe. Yeah, I'm have to hop on for that, for like one free trial for a month, and then you bounce out, right? Um, That's it. <laughs> he has this character whose name is Harry Seldon, and this guy is what what he calls a, a psycho-historian. And what what Asimov says is that you can explain the aggregate behavior of societies. You can't tell what any one man's future looks like, but you can explain the aggregate behavior of... Uh, Across galaxies and across time, because there are these principles that hold. And where this happens to fall, why where I, where I think Toby's strategy is genius is that he's doing a very similar thing where he's looking at the aggregate behavior of a population and not the individual ideas necessarily. So when someone asks him, Toby, what do you think about stock X Y Z? It's kind of a stupid question because it's very irrelevant to actually what he's doing right it's it's more the emergent of this whole portfolio of what over enough time frame you could expect from that portfolio
1: yeah that's fair that's fair yeah
2: bill anything to to add to that at this point
0: not at this point
1: i, I just say i love the <laughs> the, the foundation book that uh, f- i forget is it first foundation or foundation the first book the first book is the first Asimov book that I ever read, and absolutely loved it.
0: I know nothing about this guy, so I'm not going to be particularly
1: good at this. I'm a I'm a massive uh, Asimov geek. It's well, game.
0: he thinks you're a genius. <laughs> no,
1: JT does.
0: I mean, look, I guess at this point, if I have to add something, what I would say is. I think that Toby's strategy, as I perceive it, as described in books and everything that he does, because he's as authentic as it comes, makes a ton of sense. The idea of buying a basket of of companies that have the uh, catalyst of uh, shareholder like returns of capital to shareholders makes a lot of sense to me the only outstanding question that I have is whether or not it would be better to hold that portfolio as it's uh, introduced into the portfolio for like a year or two, or if the churn benefits. But I know you've done the work and and you've found that the churn benefits, but that's well, it'll the be held for like... a year.
1: It'll be they're held for a year at a minimum unless there's some deterioration that that makes okay. them become no longer tenable, but they're they're held they're held for a year at least. And I, I would they balance slightly more frequently. The, the rebalancing is quarterly, but that means that there's four quarterly portfolios rather than. It's not quite as simple as that, but that's roughly the idea. But I do like the idea of setting up a much longer term vehicle that would be tra- that would trade much less frequently and just sort of try and pick them out of the bottom and then hold them for you know maybe five years or more.
2: Yeah. So the next next part of our discussion then is. That I think the, another part of the, the genius of how you're structured it is is that things are equally weighted, and I think we get into I think people get into a lot of trouble uh, not being having the humility enough to consider equal weighting. Uh, everyone, you know, I think we've we've been told, oh, you know, why put more money into your 15th best idea when your your best idea is available. And that that assumes that you really know maybe often more than you than you actually do about the universe. You know, we've talked about this, this dark matter um, and how we there's a lot of information that's hidden from us in this game. Well, I think an exercise that everyone should do if you're serious about this is go back and look at your one over in portfolio. And so what that just means is take all the positions that you've held at different time periods and equal weight them as opposed to how you weighted them and see how did that perform relative to your, your performance. And I bet you would find a lot of people uh, would have better one over in portfolios than they do uh, their individual weighting portfolios, and which would tell you that maybe you're not adding a ton to the, to the actual portfolio process by, you know, t- deciding how you weight things. Uh, but you really don't know that until you test it. And I, I don't think that that's a very common practice. Like a lot of people are blind to that, uh, but I would encourage you to try to figure out a way to do that.
1: It's hard. Uh, there are some folks who do outperform their equally weighted portfolios. Icon is one has historically outperformed. So he is identifying probably because he's the creator of the catalyst. So he can size up into a position and then force the catalyst and then you know take it down as he as he's got the got the big bump. I think probably Buffett must be another one too. Because, you know, I, I think that he probably outperforms an equal weight version of, of himself. But for the most part, it's extremely difficult because there's so much randomness, particularly even at 30 names, there's a lot of randomness in those portfolios. There's no reason why things have to get equivalently kind of discounted from uh, intrinsic value before they start moving back up again. they just, somebody could have been waiting for a long time and they've got the money to move the market back up again. So I think that equal weighting, it's just an admission that you can't control that if you're already way down into that concentrated portion of the market. That's sort of the way that I do it. Yep.
2: I think that's smart. I think I there's, think we could all use the, that humility, at least check to see, are you adding value there or not?
1: There's also a rebalancing... Um, benefit to it where you're taking down positions that have worked and you're taking up positions that haven't worked so you get you you're doing what a value investor should which is buying a little bit more stuff that's gone down
2: winners run
1: (laughs) but you're not necessarily selling out you're just selling down so they could be in there and you could and you get that you know that shannon's demon effect in your in your portfolio it works in a long portfolio works a little bit better long short i got
0: nothing I do love those I, foundation thanks, books. Thanks
2: Thanks for playing.
0: No, well there's you know it's I, I have no idea. I mean, you look at somebody like Russo and acri. I just think um I guess my gut and this is completely not on data, so don't listen to it, but I'm on a podcast so whatever. Uh, I, I do think like if you're gonna take the strategy of letting your winners run, I find it very, very hard to really let them go and I think you really got to let them go if that's going to be how you're going to play that game and that I think is harder to actually stomach than many people may think when they're thinking through like oh I can let my winners run can you really because it's going to become a big part of your portfolio and it's going to feel really rich at certain times
1: that's the challenge particularly and you can see it in market cap weighted portfolios like uh you know the the S&P 500, at, peri- at, at various times, it's been like 40% Exxon. Now, that yeah. makes, I'll bet that makes people nervous right now. I bet at the time people were like, well, that makes perfect sense that you'd have Exxon, biggest and best company in the world, as your 40% weighting. But I'll bet you right now people get really nervous when they think about that and they think, I'd much rather have a good company like I want Google. Or, I want Fat Man to be the 40% weighting. Exactly right.
2: Are they nervous about that? I feel like they're pretty bulled up on that idea at this point.
1: Uh, I'd rather own Fatman yeah. than
0: some of the smaller ones.
1: Yeah, um, but the, that's, the, that's, that's that's a, a fair story. point. The, but at the at the time, you know, at at the t- at the peak, people felt good about Exxon too. I mean, not that's not necessarily just, the peak, oh, just the just the peak, peak, peak oil, Exxon.
2: like the oil's going to like four hundred dollars a barrel. Exxon look Dude, like a dream come true that's like people
0: sometimes they're like well you gotta buy the best and it's like i know you're dumb shit but it's not offered at the same odds like that's the whole fucking game that's the you hard can't part just be like, like, yes i agree if i had the fastest horse with the best jockey at the same odds i wouldn't bet on the fat one but <laughs> like, this is not how the game works
1: i'm just looking for the fat one to show it doesn't have to win yeah i just want the slow one to show
0: Just finish.
1: Yeah.
2: That
0: would be... (laughs) frustrates me so much because people, well, don't you want to own a better... Yes, I want to own a better business. I get it. I get it. I'm not like somebody that's looking through garbage and thinking it's Hermes. I just think you're paying too much.
1: But that's kind of Buffett's genius, right? Buffett's... You know, aside from the fact that he's smart, like it's the discipline to say, I'm going to wait for Google or I'm going to wait for Apple to fall into that really cheap basket and then I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to get... I'm going to get that bump when it goes back to, to its value. But then, after that, I'm going to get the growth, too, so I don't have to sell it. I think it's kind yeah. of, um, you know, he's not, trying to, he's not trying to mate with the space station. You know, he's not trying to get the rocket to meet the space station in space. He's just, you know, stepping over the one-foot hurdle on Earth.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah. Game's passed him by.
2: I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: Well, and that would be that would be like one of my knocks on Wells is what are you really how much is it really going to grow and what are the returns on capital really going to be? But you could still get you could get double digit returns on equity. And, you know, the probability underperforming, I think, is pretty low. But we'll talk about that when we get there. But like that was what made Coke so freaking smart, right, is like the returns on capital were so good and it had such a long growth runway that. He made a lot of money for a really long time. That may arguably be cheap now.
1: Do you think it's a mistake not to sell it when it gets expensive? Or do you think that this, because I kind of think his, the way that he thinks about it is, it's so hard to get into these things. When you get one, then you just take the ride with the, and if it gets expensive, then, you know, so what? You, You got it really, really cheap and now you own the business.
0: I think he'd sell a lot more frequently if he was you and I. He said it before. He said that his churn would be a lot higher if he was a lot smaller. Yeah. I think if you're Berkshire and you have that huge of a capital gain, then, like, how the heck do you get out of it? And then when you get out of it, you got to disclose, and it goes down further, and he's probably just like, whatever, screw it. We'll just own more from the buybacks, and it's too hard to figure out how to sell and buy back in. I, I think in that entity... His behavior is forced to be the way it is,
1: but I don't think he would argue that's ideal behavior. You don't think it's, but you don't, yeah. So don't know, he never incurs feature? tax. Yeah, not that's a... what I think too. Yeah,
0: well, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I yes, I think the way he set up Berkshire, he's playing in the better mousetrap. Within that mousetrap, I think there are some costs that maybe are not theoretically perfect, is, I guess, how I would say it.
1: Focuses but, the yeah. mind a little bit too. Can't get but, out of this easily. Yeah.
2: If you can't get out, what do yeah. I do? I better make sure I'm doing a good thing getting in.
1: Better make sure I like it.
2: Yeah,
0: I think that's fair. So you just say buy value
2: and hold growth? Is
1: that yeah.
0: oh, no, no, no more value. That's done. <laughs> Value's dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot.
2: So Value's right, I dead is memo. dead. Very I needed that memo 10 there. years
1: ago. I'll tell you what, if we'd been doing this yesterday, I'd have been much more inclined to believe that yesterday, for those who don't know, because I track Fat Man, uh, which is... The, the definition has changed as I've gone along, but it's uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft, Alphabet, Netflix. So uh, I just track it as like a. Do I, I miss Amazon, Alphabet, Amazon? Did, we might have to
0: an S on that
1: for uh, space. I know I love I track space too because I think it's funny, but it space. but I don't I uh, don't include Fatmans. <laughs> but I, yesterday, so Fat Fatman uh, overvalue was more than five percent. That's a that, that's a big move. <laughs> Dude, did I see Amazon tacked on eight percent yesterday? Possible, yeah. That Te- is Tesla a big might have done day. that too. Tesla might have been more than that. Might have been nine or ten percent.
2: I remember when it. What, what,
1: I mean, what is it that? Added is that
2: a, it added a Ford yesterday.
1: Is that eighty billion dollars? Is
2: that what it is? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's something like that. That was yeah. punishment
1: for my hubris. Point too, calling it Icarus.
2: Pretty that soon, starting to, to be real numbers
0: here. Yeah, that <laughs> used to be a lot of money back in the day. Hmm. Oh, well, do you want to do cap is an antiquated
2: concept anyway, yeah. don't worry about.
0: Yeah, that's this is probably a reasonable time to do the ROIC and uh, return comments. Yeah. Look, we have gone too far with this discussion. OK, I understand that there you're over a long enough time horizon. Your returns will mirror the returns of the business, presuming that you pay for growth. Right. Or that it, that the business continues to grow when buffett bought Kraft Heinz, that business printed like seven billion in ebit and he paid like a hundred billion dollars guess what if it doesn't make more than seven billion in ebit it doesn't matter what the returns on capital are you're not going to earn more than your earnings yield on what you purchased like so the way that i think about it is you get the weighted average of your purchase price earnings yield Plus, how the business grows over time, whatever the earnings growth is over time, you are accumulating the business's return in that, uh, like in the incremental earnings, right? But you can't egregiously overpay for an asset, hold it forever and argue to me that you're going to get the asset's return. It's just not how the math works. And a lot of your return is on so far out, it doesn't even matter down the road. Um, Now, I agree that in a world where multiples continue to expand, that thought has not, you know, there's never been over the past, I don't know, 10 years or whatever, you haven't had to worry about the multiple coming in on you. So from an IRR standpoint, yeah, you buy it, it grows at a certain rate, you flip it at the same multiple, maybe it expands, your IRR is better than, you know, what even the business returned or whatever. But you, you just can't. If you listen to what Buffett said on about Kraft Heinz, I think it was, I think it was two years ago or two interviews ago now after a meeting. I mean, he said he's like, it's it's only going to earn seven billion. The business is still a fantastic business. Look at the returns on capital. We paid he's not too gonna, much. Yeah, he's, he's not going to earn more. He's not going to get bailed out by returns on capital. You paid too much. You paid too much.
1: Well what was I, did, was did he say what did he expect to have happen and and why didn't it work out
0: i I mean, I think what he thought was I think that he was relying a little bit too much on legacy uh, distribution advantages. I think he underestimated the risk of private label taking share. and I think he thought the entity would grow a little bit more and and if the entity grows and the returns on capital are what they are, you can pay a hundred billion for seven billion today. but If
2: the entity doesn't grow, it doesn't matter if the returns on capital are good. Like, you're fucked. And that's the lesson, I think, for everybody, is that you have to be right about that, what does the future look like for this business for that to have been an appropriate price to pay. And if even somebody like Buffett, who's been watching consumer goods for 70 years now, can swing and miss on something, like you can too. So just because the multiple has been very favorable for you the expansion of that over the last 10 years does not necessarily a genius make and does not necessarily mean that you're going to get the same result over the next 10 years
1: do you think he expected 3g to chop a lot of cost out and to make that look a little bit better than it actually was
0: i don't i don't know I, i think that he and 3g both made um an error thinking that you didn't need uh I mean, Jorge Paulo Lehman said this like last year. He said we were dinosaurs. I I just think that they overweighted legacy distribution advantages, uh, and they got caught. And I you know I don't think either one of them has been uh, particularly good at pivoting uh, their minds. I mean, and Berkshire has seen it throughout history. I mean, with like World Book, but he sort of knew that that erosion was coming. But it, I just think. You know maybe they overweighted uh the incumbent advantage
1: it's tough though right because you would look at that very long history of growth in those in those goods and you'd say well i think that this is probably going you know we're going to stumble up and down a little bit but roughly this is probably what we're going to continue to do because that the, the private label stuff was i mean who, who really foresaw that happening maybe there's a whole lot of vcs out there who funded it and who knew it was coming but I, I I don't think it was obvious. I think, you know, we the still VC shop at of
2: Costco. <laughs> uh,
0: private label, you could see that coming. That one, I I don't think that that was that hard because I, I was banking in food when that was really taking off and it was steadily taking share. Um, I do think it grew much bigger than people thought. And like Kirkland has objectively become a much bigger brand than I think even the most bullish Costco investors would have projected
1: so it's that private label not it's not the instagram folks who are like to consumer, direct to consumer mean? yeah so yeah, sorry I think i'm confused private much bigger okay i'm much, a little confused are you yeah, buying right.
2: your sliced cheese off of uh direct to consumer instagram <laughs>
1: No, but I buy a lot of stuff up there, but you get the, uh, you get, you know, we we shop at Trader Joe's and it's all private label. They're really sneaky. They get something in there that people like and then they tell the, I think they tell the people who make that, hey, guess what? Now you're making it for us and you're making less. So we're going to stick it under our brand. Cool. Like, what are you going to do? It's all marginal uh, sales.
0: I didn't mean, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. I found the quote that I wanted to say and I cut you off. No, you're good. That's like it. That's all, that. that's all I was going to say. Oh, all right. So this is his exact quote. He said, uh, now this this is Buffett. Now the interesting thing about Kraft Heinz is that it's still a wonderful business and that it uses 7 billion of tangible assets and earns 6 billion pre-tax on this. So the assets required to run the business 7 billion, they earn 6 billion roughly after depreciation pre-tax, but we in the certain and certain predecessors, but primarily we paid a hundred billion more than the tangible assets. So for us, It has to earn on 107 billion, not just on the 7 billion that the business employs. And we don't have a way. It would be wonderful if we had a way to deploy another 7 billion and earn 6 billion, but it's not there, right? This is the whole fucking argument against SaaS that I have. When you're paying 30 times sales, you're not earning the return that the business is – like the business can earn that return. You need the business – to earn that times the thirty times multiple of sales that you're paying, like I get, they're great businesses. I get it's growing firstly in debt. You're not some savant for figuring that out.
2: Anyway. Rant. Paging, paging, CEO of Sun Microsystems, <laughs> Scott Neely. <laughs> yeah, ten Just times spending. used to be
1: expensive. Ten times, it's yeah. like that's a value stock now. That's deep value. Jesus. To be it's f- just
2: a bit
0: frustrating to me that people can't, like, these are, like, a lot of these people are very smart people, and I don't know if it's motivated reasoning, I don't know if people aren't thinking, I don't know what it is, but, like, you earn what you pay, and the underlying earning stream growing from there. You don't earn what the founder put in, and that, that stream growing. Like, it's just, it's not how the game works. You are the other people's money. You are not earning the levered return.
1: But it's it's understandable, though, right? It's just been a market that has rewarded growth with in, with multiple expansions. So if you've had Stock that for a decade, well. yeah, if you've had that for a decade, I mean, a decade is a long time. You you really think that we're going back to like a value type market where you get the 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 lower growing, cheaper company does better? That's that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was <clears throat> I was asked on one idea. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it is sort of ridiculous. And I guess that the answer for that question is what I think is over the long term. If you hold those kind of businesses and, and you underwrote them well and you buy the uh, like that type of business, you're going to do better. Do I think that you're going to outperform over the next year? Probably not. I mean, momentum's probably going to keep ripping and value's probably going to st- still get shat on. One year is not an investment career. I think you do it for 20 years. Eventually, (laughs) eventually you get bad stuff that happens. And I don't know where it's going to happen. Like, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. If I was, I wouldn't be sitting here.
1: Fundamentals matter eventually. You just don't know when. Yeah. And once you, I think that's like this, that's the only Zen thought you have to get to. Once you realize that, then you don't really care what the stock price does. You just got to watch your own businesses, and you're totally fine then. You've reached this sort of moksha.
0: Yeah. Like, look at the same price. Would uh, and the same multiple. Would I rather own Shopify or Wells? Shopify. I get it. You're not buying it at the same price. Probably at you know? a
1: premium too, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a pretty steep premium, might I add.
1: But this might be it's a little bit too much.
2: One, not the one being presented. <laughs> not to the you one on today. offer.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just feel like right now these valuations you're seeing like a crackhead with a bl- or like a cokehead with like a bleeding nose and he's about to fall over and have a seizure, you just don't know when. And you're like that's a nose bleeding valuation and it's not going to end well. You just don't know how long it can go on before that guy falls over.
1: I forget who pointed. Maybe it. not it's not a great analogy. It's but. the last 5 shots of tequila at the bar. The first two drinks are great at the start of the night and you wake up in the morning and you don't even feel those but the 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 shots of tequila just before you hit the before you bust out, last call. Better get some shots. That's what ruins yeah. the next two days, particularly if you're my age.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Actually in my age it's uh it's probably the third shot that puts me down for the next day and a half.
1: Yeah. It's a two day hangover now, I just can't do it. Yeah. I'm with you.
0: Anyway, that's my rant. I was I was very amped up about that rant. Uh, and I, look, they're very nice people, and I think they're very smart that are making this argument to me. But it's like I I I know what you're saying. I get it. Well, you know, maybe I'm the moron, but I really don't think you're
2: thinking here.
1: But there is a time. Ton- well, I- no-
2: nothing sedates, nothing sedates uh, critical thinking like easy, quick money.
1: Yeah. Narrative follows price. I mean, that's and a- I- sorry. To-
2: I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and I,
0: I do get the knock on like value. so that intrepid potash that I continue to go back to. right? I mean, that guy had a lot of money. He invested in a shitty business. he has eroded value. He invested in oil assets. I, I think normalized, you're probably going to be able to print like 20 million of free cash flow on a $105 million market cap. But I could be off on that, whatever. Do your own work. Bottom line is that guy has lost a lot of money. Like he he has misallocated capital for a very long time. That asset should trade at a discount because there's nothing to convince me that you're going to get the capital out. So like in that sort of a value trap pitch, I get why people say it's a trap. In stuff that like Toby's buying, where you have buybacks as a catalyst, I mean, that's a different argument. Like you're you are drawing the cash out of the business today. It's not some hope.
1: Yeah, that's the, the, the I mean the, the risk for value guys is you just get stuck in something that never like Berkshire. You know, I understand the I understand the counter argument to Berkshire, right? That yeah, just bear with me for a moment. The uh, counter argument to Berkshire is that choose your words carefully, sir. Well it's got it's got the con- it's got the conglomerate and di- <laughs> I'm an owner and I'm a huge fan. I'm playing devil's advocate. I just understand the other argument. The other argument is there's this big conglomerate discount, so many moving parts to it. Doesn't pay a dividend, you know, really buy maybe I think that maybe he's got bought back a little bit more stock this time around, but you know, didn't buy back stock when we had the big opportunity in March. And so folks are like, "Well, how do you how do you get the money out of this thing? Like what what's the how do you get how, how do you how do you make money in the next quarter in this thing you can't make money in the next quarter in this thing you got to have this view where this business is going to be bigger in five or the company is going to be bigger in five or ten years then you say well i love management management's 90 and 96 like they gone that's that's that's, that's, that's the counter-argument you know that uh, yeah. I, I i i happen to disagree with it but i do understand it i think it's i think it's a pretty strong counter-argument i just you know, my bias is towards, I just like undervalued high quality things. I think it's, I think it's like genetically built to kind of outperform and and Buffett is going to be there for a, quite a bit longer, I hope. And I still think beyond that, um, it's not going to matter because it's so well constructed and the team that's there is so good. This thing succeeds no matter what.
0: I also think in something like that, your, your shareholder base is such high quality like the three of us, obviously. But, you know, it gives them such leeway to do things. And look, I do think eventually you're probably going to have some spinoffs from Berkshire. I, I mean, I, I think eventually the business is probably going to have to morph a little bit. And I think that there's a way to do it that'll probably piss off some of the OG shareholders. But you, you don't have to sacrifice what it is. Fundamentally, the ethos of that company, I think, survives. And I think that... Having the shareholder base that's willing to allow that sort of uh I don't know why metamorphosis is the only word that I can think of, but like that's important, right and I think that having uh, sort of Charlie and, and Warren there as you know the church that people pray to um, that I think that's really powerful. I mean it's why I hold the shares. It's currently my biggest position. What,
1: what do you think that they could do that will piss off the OG shareholders?
0: I think you start getting into some spin offs and it's people spent. are going to get pretty nervous start selling some businesses or shuttering them. Um, I mean I you know I get why I, it's a delicate balance and maybe they don't do it but well the
1: nice thing shit. about Berkshire is they're all decentralized so it's probably reasonably easy to do that you know it's not like they're taking all of that it's not like they're there, there are no synergies, right? It's not like they're they're chopping out the treasury function and they're chopping. What they just buy it and they just leave it alone, as I as I understand it from the outside. But th- that's what they, yeah. that's what they tell us they do.
0: No, I think you're right. I I I think that's a that's a risk as some of the founders start to retire, and now all of a sudden the second in command, they maybe doesn't have the same tie to Berkshire, and now they're not working for Warren and Charlie. They're working for, you know, Ted Todd and uh, who's the Greg. Greg yeah and a I mean you know it's it's gonna be interesting to watch that happen, and you gotta pay attention to it, but um I'd still rather bet on that that set of assets and those jockeys than a lot of other ones,
2: yeah you gotta still like even if it's seventy five percent of the original culture that's still a pretty damn good culture,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think that a lot of it's it's gonna be hard to you know if you're the person who takes over with everybody watching you and having, you know, grown up under it, it's going to be hard to pivot and, hey, guess what? We're spinning this thing off. Yeah, We're levering yeah,
0: yeah. this baby up. It. We're buying back shares. <laughs> hey, man, you issued debt at zero in Europe. I'm not going to hate on that. That's free money.
1: I don't, I don't have a particularly long topic here. I just... I. I just think I've just noticed there's quite a few uh, death of value type articles around, which does uh, warm my heart to see them because I know that the end is uh, the end of values under performance is near because narrative follows price rather than the other way around, which it should be. I think it's I just think it's hysterical that you know BlackRock has come out Justine nope I think I said Christina Anope before I'm sorry about that but BlackRock's come out and said BlackRock's co head of systematic active equity quants should move on from value stock valuations are essentially unknowable and rather than scale a data set by price just see if it predicts returns aside from the gobbledygook in the second part which i don't really understand i've seen that argument a few times as if i was a five-year-old no i can't yeah i think it means
0: stocks go up stop trying to care about fundamentals <laughs> yeah.
1: well there seems to be like that's that's a there's a lot of that going <laughs> that on at the Is moment.
0: what i translate that to
1: even even Fat Man, I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's F A A T. Just before I trigger anybody, Fat Man, uh, when when Fat when I look at Fat Man's valuations, Fat Man's stretched. I think Fat Man's expensive. Don't misunderstand <laughs> what I'm going to say here, but but Fat Man, they're not. Are you
0: claiming that 60 percent up year to date is stretched? <laughs> well, I don't, how
1: dareth thou? The, the, the percentage performance of the prices is, is kind of irrelevant. It's like what what is it relative to the underlying business? And I think if you look at those things. Somebody sent me some analysis yesterday saying if you're looking for a four percent nominal return in Amazon, you got to you got some pretty bullish assumptions you got to make these days. Like thirty percent growth, got to return a lot of capital. You know, four percent nominal—that's not much in this kind of. I mean, I, oh, I don't really no, know.
2: I, I started with my line down here, and then I draw <laughs> through where it went, and then I just keep going. And well, by that's the time been working I get to the end point. It's dude, I'm, we're rich. I don't know what you. <laughs> The thing I don't I, – I, I get the
0: Be- – I'm going to piss some people off with this. Lord almighty, please forgive me. Uh, Amazon's the one I like the least. I mean, AWS, I like. I get it. I get that Bezos is a genius. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I am really, really interested to see operating leverage flow through Amazon over the next three years. If I'm even moderately directionally correct on the economy – and I know somebody's going to be out there. Well, they deliver the lowest price. Okay, let's see. Um, you know, AWS is a monster, though. It is a monster. But you're paying a lot for it.
1: And there's some competition there, too. But you, you, think, you think Amazon, of the businesses in Fat Man, which business yeah. do you... Well,
0: T is the worst, by far. But I don't even consider... <laughs> that's, that's only there for the, for the acronym
2: yeah and well it's uh, been
1: fang it's been fan mag, but we're we're now because
0: microsoft i like the most uh facebook's probably the best business but god i can't get over how much i don't like zuckerberg uh google search is incredible if they could figure out how to allocate capital that'd be a hell of a business too it already <laughs> is but uh you know take care of my friends over there but other than that stop this other bets nonsense uh
1: and then, uh, <laughs> dude, that's that's how they stop the people with the pitchforks <laughs> and the torches from coming for them.
0: Netflix, we'll see, but I think Disney is a much much better business than Netflix. And and if you're comparing the two of those, I just think that I, I'm not as convinced on Netflix's ability to scale spend as some people are. But you know, I'm I'm also not some huge Netflix hater. I get it. Global scale is important.
1: What's your favorite JT? I think I know the answer, but just let you articulate it.
2: Uh, well, if I just have to own one of those businesses, my entire You can entire own the network, business.
1: Yeah, you can own the business. You don't I have don't... to pay the price. Do you know what I mean? Like, you get it, you get it, but yeah. like you get them all at the same valuation.
2: Um, I'm taking Google.
1: Yeah, me too. And I'm just going to... Why?
2: Cash checks. Because it's just a money printing machine that is... Will continue to is the most likely to keep printing money for a long time. I think relative to the other ones, and is less likely, I think, to be disrupted than the other ones.
0: Also, the people out there are awesome humans. Like the, I mean, I I only met with like a select group that's into investing, but like they are they are thoughtful, they're intelligent. They want they ask like questions that I was. Yeah, I don't think that has a lot to do with the money printing machine. I agree. <laughs> yeah, well, it helps over the long term.
1: See, I think, I think Google, in, in, in one sense, like, to me, Google is the most frightening of all of them, which means it's the one that I want to own the most. Because there's just, you know, Google is in every part of your life. It's all, Google's got YouTube, you probably use Gmail, you most likely use search. And nobody else, it's just too hard to use anything else other than those those ones. And you just don't even notice that it's all Google collecting all of your information all the time. Whereas you do notice Facebook, like there's an ick factor when you go to Facebook. I don't use it a lot. I think a lot of people don't use it a lot. Google, like much more embedded under your skin. It would be very hard to get that removed and survive. And people don't really think about it that much. You know, somehow it's sort of, it's crossed that uncanny valley a, where you, you trust benign,
2: it. benign cancer. <laughs>
1: But then on top of that, it's like it's it's good bacteria or something like that. Beyond okay, that, yeah. it's like disguising how much it makes. Like they've got all this other bets nonsense. They're just like, ah, we're just going to do some stuff so nobody knows how much money we make. And so they're just hiding out there, camouflaged in plain sight, totally embedded under your skin. And nobody knows what's going on. Like Google's a scary beast.
2: All right. got to go place some buy orders. <laughs> They, uh, I, would
0: argue Ugh. they mismanage some of their competitive advantage in YouTube too. Uh, like, I don't understand why, why YouTube isn't much much bigger. And I don't understand why, like Google Music. There's a, there's some weird things they have not. On one hand, like they completely pivoted the business to mobile search and released Android, and that was like an insanely oh, good business move. On the other, I, they've had some assets that they've really squandered, and I'm, I'm not sure why.
1: They kill assets all the time, right? They kill, interesting, like the RSS feed. They had the landing page uh, that I used, homepage RSS feed. They killed something else recently, too.
0: You know what they should bring back is, like, Google history. You used to be able to Google, like, uh, I don't know, like a, a search phrase, and then you could see all the times in history that it's come up so like ken fisher used to write about that back before he was a sexist pig um all the time like he would google like uh his topic that he wanted to write about and google would return to him all throughout history different dates that, that that a similar headline had come up and he was like look at how often people have complained about this and look at what stocks have done since then
1: that was a cool feature you can't there's still some like google trends is that the same thing
0: uh no it's it's different this is like more of a historical thing i think trends more picks up like what's current, current
1: no you can down. you can go back over a few years yeah. at least five you might go back five years this is a lot of history also
0: sorry ken i didn't mean to throw you under the bus you did it to yourself though
1: <laughs> you, played you played yourself, yourself. Ken's... i learned
0: a lot from that dude i feel bad that he
2: turned into somebody that's a sort of a pariah
1: aggressive marketing
2: yeah yeah just, hey while we're on while we're on fat man uh a few tesla numbers
1: yeah so, are they come out
2: no 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 are oh, you just giving some you got numbers. some okay yeah this is actually from from jonas at uh, morgan stanley recently talking about what what does tesla look like at the 300 billion dollar market cap relative to what did apple look like when it crossed the 300 billion dollar threshold and what did amazon look like at that same threshold so uh, Apple, twice as much revenue and five times as much EBITDA as Tesla at the same three hundred market cap. Amazon.
0: Oh, hey, hey, wait! Real quick follow up. Uh, can we get a free cash conversion to EBITDA calculation on this? Because yeah. pretty sure Apple's a cash machine and <laughs> Tesla isn't.
2: Fair. Uh, Tesla is was is seventy percent smaller than Amazon on revenues and one third of the EBITDA that Amazon had. Uh, at that same valuation, uh, as far as forward earnings, uh, forward EBITDA, uh, Apple was at 11 times, Amazon was at 22 times, Tesla's at 61 times, Oof. Yeah, just, this is, so, so everyone mother. is saying that, you yeah. know, Tesla is the next dot, 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 uh, you are praying for an incredibly optimistic future and even relative your... to those guys that were total outliers against every base rate that's out there dude and what are your returns on capital in the growth
1: well i know that because i i went and had a look at it do you, do you have those numbers
0: low to quite low
1: so i looked at amazon at the request of uh samson nakrobi's often on here i don't know if he's on today but he uh wanted to know what uh amazon and tesla look like since inception over the last decade so Amazon has earned, this is on a gross profits on total assets. This is the Novi Marks measure. Uh, Joe Weisenthal tweeted this out like five or six years ago saying Amazon is the top earning on this metric of Novi Marks, which is like a substitute for return on invested capital. It's just one of those return on equity, return on assets type measures. Variety of reasons why it might, it might be a slightly cleaner measure, this one. But he looked at um, its gross profit, REVs minus COGS on total assets. So, what did it cost you to get here? What are you earning before you feed it through the machine? Amazon, for the first decade, earned 49% on assets, which is which is pretty good. That's a good business. Over its yeah. full life, it's earned 35, something like that. 35.4. Very, good. very, very good. Um, Tesla has earned uh, 10.2 over its full life. So, it's less than a third as good as Amazon. It's currently twice as expensive on that on like a, a very variety of different measures. So it's like 6x relative to Amazon at the moment in my in my estimation. And Tesla's very best year, it earned 18.9%. Amazon's worst year, it earned 23.1%. So Amazon has never been, even Not in its even worst year, neighbor. it's better than Tesla in its best year. Amazon's be the better business. I'd be know
0: what uh, Zoo Plus is doing on that metric. I bet it's pretty good. Zoo Plus an interesting asset. I don't know how they... Uh... Go tangentially, but it's basically e-commerce for pet stuff. Uh, but dog food is <laughs> like pet, Pets.com. Is it's right? Amazon no, for it's pet stuff. It's not that. It's not that. It's European, and uh it's it's a better so business. than I pitched it as now it's just I'm telling you, man. Dog food and stuff is the delivery of dog food is it removes a lot of friction from your life. You don't want to carry like a 50 pound bag of dog. Yeah, but now you got to ship a 50 yeah, pound bag
1: of dog food you need
0: like some efficiencies there carvana thinks they can do it with a car i think you can do it with dog food if you get enough people going but i don't disagree no, with your value
2: comment. to weight ratio is
0: totally I, effed on that i right? think there's
1: a lot of vc money subsidizing a lot of this stuff and you're not going to know until we come out the other side
0: it's a reasonable possibility you're correct C-
1: throw your questions in folks uh we got 15 minutes to go I, I wonder about a lot of that stuff because I think we're kind of in this, uh, we're in the golden time of having stuff delivered to your house and, I just, and you know, or getting picked up from your house. Like, I, I think Uber, probably the prices have to go up or, or, you know, I don't know how it works exactly, but I I think that it's it's just hard to see how you can, you know, Uber is one example of just VC subsidized taxi rides. I think a lot of these things are just VC subsidized food to your house. I mean, that's strange. Can I, uh
2: Can I read you guys something real quick? Yeah. All right, so the inhabitant of any city could order on his phone, sipping his morning coffee in bed, the various products of the whole world and in such quantity as he sees fit and reasonably expect their early arrival on his doorstep. He could, at the same moment and by the same means, adventure his wealth in the natural resources and new enterprise of any quarter of the world. He regards this state of affairs as normal, certain, and permanent, except in the direction of further improvement. And any deviation from it is aberrant, scandalous, and avoidable.
1: What Sounds is that? Like today, right? Nineteen hundred. What the future is yeah, going to look like?
0: That's
2: right. What is it? Nope. That's that is uh, John Maynard Keynes writing in nineteen nineteen wow. about how uh before even world war one everyone expected that the world was going to be really easy and uh, i changed a couple words in there like you know he he originally said london and telephone instead of like on his phone but um yeah that that whole idea that it's just this smooth easy line that goes straight up into the right um uh, probably doesn't reflect history very well
1: yeah that's amazing Keynes, uh, lots of bad ideas, lots of good ideas. Good investor, bad economist.
0: I said good pull, man. That was a good pull.
1: Yeah, that was impressive. How did you grab that?
2: Um, You knew it. It's actually part of my quarterly letter I'm working on. I I think it was your daily affirmation.
1: Don't give away away the magic trick.
2: Yes, that's fair. You don't have to give away the the magic trick.
1: That's what you should have said. Yeah. Something I like to meditate on every now and again. Uh, I thought, did
0: you, did you guys see the, uh, I think I sent it to you, that 1995 Buffett quote about, uh, Munger said something about, uh, oh, uh, what, what the fuck, what did Buffett say? How did he set it up? I don't know, but uh, Munger was, oh, he, Buffett said, newspapers still make a lot of money. And Munger was like, ah, but you've told me many times that people don't care about what floor they on, they, <laughs> they're on. They care about the direction that the elevator is going. I was like, man. Those guys are just so smart. Like, the that's such a good way to explain what is like psychologically going on with valuations and how to like just sort of like plainly think about things. Right? It's like, oh yeah, we don't make any free cash flow, but it's a great business. Look at how much it's growing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Elevator we'll goes say- for <laughs> yeah. So Meanwhile, I got a good- some those guys like you dumbass. You invest in airlines. Whatever. I get a, a pandemic to beat me.
1: It's not over yet. I, I, yeah, I, I got a, a good one here. Uh, the SEC is removing the 13F reporting. I don't know if this is actually happening. If they're just discussing it, but removing 13F performing for companies under 3.5 billion AUM. I'm not. I, I thought they were. I'm not entirely sure about the detail. I thought they were removing it for also for funds at some level as well. Yeah, like two billion. Is or it something
2: Moving the cap up. I don't, I'm not sure. Something around there.
1: What's the reason for this? They're saying that it's too expensive to do it or something? Lobbying?
2: I don't know. IP? I mean, you you don't want to put out your portfolio. I mean, it's going to make it a lot harder to lose money as a copycat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Isn't that the truth?
2: Yeah.
0: I don't mind that. I was saying when I saw the, um, the news, I, I do hope that uh, it doesn't... I like to look at shareholder bases i do like that and I, I hope that there's still a way to figure that out i don't care much about what people are buying when they're buying it but i, I do sort of like
2: to know that they're in the shareholder base yeah
1: it you does depend
2: good when you buy something for cheaper than what some, someone that you like you know what they bought it at that i think good yeah i think that that uh, that exercise has cost me <laughs> way
0: way more than it has uh delivered the, yes the amount of money that i have lost following people into ideas is far greater than the benefit
1: you know james l tucher i don't know if that's how you say his name but he pitched um capital stephen cohen uh on, I i gotta go buy it real quick with this idea that uh he would buy only the stuff that the big guys had bought but only for cheaper based on their 13f i mean this is a long time ago i guess when it was harder to get this information what do you think about that? Like, the, I, th- I get the feeling that you're saying that, and I, I feel the same way. And I don't know why, but I, I've never really succeeded buying under it's somebody else. It's a lot easier, I it.
2: think if you're them to just trade on inside information instead. Of, <laughs> <that would be. laughs> I
0: I would bet. I'd be interested to see this study. I bet you do better buying after when the stock is higher than when the stock is lower. I mean, these big guys can be wrong.
1: Yeah, that's that might be a signal, might not that. They've yeah. released th- that somebody smart says that they smart. own something and everybody else looks at it and says, nah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, whereas if it's up, like, I bet their thesis is starting to play out.
1: So I got another good one here. Uh, that You know, the Amazon slide that's been going around that shows how they've transformed every cost center into a source of income. Mm. What, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think Bezos is a genius.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I sort of understand like you're looking for ways to you, you create some productive capability within your business in which to for it to function and you say, oh, hey, I wonder if anyone else maybe outside of our organization could use this. That's not like a master stroke of genius or anything like everyone's been doing that like oil companies before rockefeller used to throw away all of this sludge and it turns out that all that stuff could be made into like plastics and uh, i mean that was also waste on the balance sheet uh or the income statement turned into some productive asset so this is nothing new it's just uh, so smart it's good yeah no it's smart but is the
1: is the genius in it The genius isn't in having the idea, right? The genius is in executing that idea, which they've sort of, they've almost systematically, like they've turned that into like part of their business where let's just find our cost centers and then they're probably everybody else's cost centers too. And, you know, it's probably where AWS came from, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that is mostly correct. Um, The other people that do it is Starbucks with those big roasteries. You know, I mean, you turn what would be a huge rent expense into an income generation machine. And now you have a huge, you know, the the amount of marketing exposure that Starbucks gets on Michigan Ave in Chicago. Now, all of a sudden, you're not spending that. You're bringing in money. I mean, that's those are pretty incredible ideas, but you got to do it right. Uh, I think that's the the execution is harder than the idea.
2: I mean, every expense has to be measure it against is it providing value to the customer or not yeah right so if you're doing that then you and you come up with ways to monetize that like it's that's what every good business should be doing thinking about ways to delight their customer and earning a certain percentage of that delight back as their revenue uh that's just called capitalism
1: so just on amazon do you think would you say that amazon delights you as often now as it did say five years ago no, sir. What? Why?
0: Uh, I I mean, I said this. I think it was the last, or maybe it was two podcasts. Second ago.
2: season of Jack Ryan that was that
0: was, where <laughs> that was, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I that agree. Dog shit. I mean, look, they're in a lot of parts of my life. They're also in part of my life because when I watch Netflix, it runs on their server, right? I mean, there. So there's there's they are very connected to me. But I think that their products have gotten crappier and crappier. If you buy toys off it, they're mostly garbage. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I,
1: it's, There's uh, a lot of fakes. That's the thing that really yeah. gets me. There's a lot of fakes. And I they don't, really po- they, the they don't seem to police it. Yeah, the reviews are fake and a lot of the products are fake. They do this thing, so I just saw this today. Uh, they do this thing where they, somebody go they find a, somebody finds a product that's selling well. They replicate it, like they rip it off. They, and they, they make it in China and then sell it in the U.S., and then Amazon will go and give them like Amazon's Choice on that rip-off product. And this guy tweeted out today that he had, uh, he, he was, they've got like a lawsuit against this firm and Amazon's after the lawsuit gone and given the competitor that's ripping them off the, the Amazon's Choice brand. So you've got to be careful even with Amazon's Choice.
2: Well, that's just an algorithm probably like this is selling a lot and it's yeah. a good margin for us, therefore Amazon yeah. Choice.
1: They got to be careful though. You can, you know, we we don't shop so much on Amazon. We we go to Target and Walmart because my wife's more confident that the stuff you're going to get. You know, when it's baby stuff, you're going to get it. It's the real thing. You're not getting yeah. I probably fake.
0: wouldn't buy baby stuff off Amazon. Other than diapers, the diaper subscription's nice. But like, so I only would things not... that
2: you will literally shit on. Are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> not even, not even Bill.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of yeah I do not I d I don't
2: I don't really trust a lot of the product quality on it.
0: But I still no, use it, so maybe that's the definition of a drug addict.
2: Well, I mean there's isn't there their whole point is to be super customer centric and maybe they're the eyes off the ball a little bit there, if that's the opinion that you guys have. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think customer centricity is some Silicon Valley
1: narrative for screwing people a lot of the time. No, you could be for screwing you be... suppliers. Yeah, that's that's what it means. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. They're just being clear about what they're doing. Uh, I mean,
0: look, they've, they've driven price down. They've benefited my life in a lot of ways. I have a much stronger brand affinity towards Costco than I do Amazon, much.
1: Um, there's a value stock geek said uh you know referring to meb faber's book meb faber did a book on 13fs uh did a back test 13f investing outperforms the only the only wrinkle to it i think is that you shouldn't hold the biggest position in the 13f because that's probably Hmm. the one that's gone up the most not necessarily the one that they've got the most conviction conviction in yeah got a good question here um any ceos you've come across with practices like the one in the book the outsiders
2: I'm not going to give you my buy list. <laughs> Those are. Did uh... Bill was that you that tweeted about uh, Pat Dorsey's? Uh... He has this like this nice nice little one page sheet about cap allocators and why it's kind of a uh, hidden inefficiency in the marketplace. Hmm.
0: No, it was not me.
2: Well, never mind. It doesn't exist. We're not going to share that one. <laughs> Fair.
0: Send it to me later.
2: Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think
1: that the uh, the best...
2: Here's, his reasoning is it's hard to model. It's yeah. it's typically lumpy returns because of you know the buybacks happen in more tender offer style than they do the sort of uh, brain-dead buyback in a bubble that you'd see th- from most companies. Um, and that it, it's kind of an anti-fragile argument uh, for, for good capital allocators.
1: There was a question earlier about rights issues, um, about the impact of rights issues. And I know that you and I... Jake, have discussed this before. You prefer rights issues over other types of capital raisings. Do you want to elaborate why?
2: Yeah, I think they're genius. I mean, they're they're typically cheaper than a, a full equity issuance, um, and they allow you as if as an existing shareholder to keep your exact ownership that you had before. And if you don't want to, those the warrants have they have some value in the marketplace that you could sell them for if you wanted to raise cash so uh, i like them as a as a good alternative to just
1: that's uh, a fairer service. way of doing it you think that's the I fairest think it's a way of, doing way of it.
2: treating your shareholders yeah like we're all it's a capital call but we're all you you can participate in the same percentage that you own the business and not be diluted if you don't want to
1: why don't more companies do them
2: I don't know, because no one else is doing them.
1: Maybe because maybe it's a pain, because it's, like, it's easier to do a private placement. You just go and find somebody big. You deal with one person. You say, do you want to do this or not? They say yes. Or if they say no, you move on to the next guy. Whereas with the rights issue, there's a it's little everyone. bit of risk. That, that. But I think if you've got the rights that you can sell into the market, and so somebody else can pick them up and take advantage of that, because you often get a little discount, right? There's some option value in the in the rights, and then you get a little discount as the investor.
2: Yeah, for I mean, for the same reason that spinoffs are often mispriced. is like, uh, this is just in my account. I don't want it there anymore. Sell it.
1: Yeah, and it's got a liability attached to it. Yeah. When it right. shows up. Um, Kirkland Signature Brand versus Amazon Basics. I don't think there's any comparison, but... Uh, yeah,
0: Kirkland's way better.
1: There's some... Uh folks any more questions or we've got we've got on about a the, minute uh,
0: on the Wells thing I think Berkshire missed it because it's super decentralized and they promote from within and I think that those are both things that Charlie and Warren really value but I think it well I'm confident in saying in Wells case it was their Achilles heel and I think that when the regulators wanted an outside solution there was no one within the company that had the answer so they hired a bunch of consultants And then the consultants were pitching a plan that they were then forwarding to the regulators. But since no one had the internal uh, knowledge to actually execute the plan, when it came time to execute the plan, they were like, yeah, we're almost done. But they hadn't even started. And then everybody got pissed off. And I think that Charlie and Warren, like, really, really missed that. And I think Sloan was completely worthless. The amount of time that he wasted there was ridiculous. And I get why Charlie likes him, because, like, all those guys are credit guys, but they didn't need credit at the moment so i th- i think that's an interesting sort of like case study on
1: where even charlie and warren can have a blind spot mm.
0: whether or not they can fix it's a different question but
1: uh, we'll there's see. a we're kind of coming up on time but there's a couple of there's just two good parts here uh so tracy Britt cool's got this back tracy brit cool who was like buffett's assistant for a while there like what what do you what would you role was she playing
2: probably a debating
1: uh. hatchet woman <laughs> What is it? Is it demeaning? Not not assistant. Well, what would you say? Apprentice? I think fix, fixer? Maybe? Fixer. I okay. Know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a better term. I didn't yeah. mean it in a demeaning way. I, d- I just didn't know exactly what her. I knew she got kind of. She got that kind of the Harry Bottle treatment where you do okay in one thing, you get moved onto something else, and you do okay there. All of a sudden, you're like a. Yeah, fixer. I guess you're right. That's a better term. She's got a SPAC. They're going to buy some Buffett-type company in the SPAC. Have they Have they identified it yet?
2: I don't know. I haven't heard that yet. Spack's are hot right
1: now.
0: If I'm rolling with a spAC, I'm doing this Howley uh, dude from the outsiders spec. That's that's the spec I'm rolling with. Nick Howley? Yeah. And and who's the dude that right uh, Will Thorndike. They got a SPAC together.
1: Oh, that's some good that's some good marketing, isn't it?
0: No, it's great marketing. It's almost as good as being Ackman.
1: Yeah. <laughs> gee. Lots of dudes raising spacks at the moment the only other question uh, last one before we get to go uh, will Amazon spin off AWS
0: I have no idea
1: it seems like it would
0: unlock some value
2: but why bother yeah it's a lot of effort they're not yeah. gonna you
1: don't, you don't do it at a high valuation you do it when your valuations in the toilet get a little bit of uh, recognition for it I Although, mean
2: you... <laughs> well if we if there's more competition coming in the cloud space this may be as good a margins as they're going to show but they're still going to get it, some
1: growth out of it right
2: yeah it'll oh, still yeah. be a bigger business it, it, so the next five dude, years it's also an insane business it does like
0: 30 percent returns on assets you spin that off lever it up and turn it into a reit. oh
2: sure when you're the only cloud service provider those are your margins
0: yeah they're, i think they're going to be pretty okay it's a scale game they're going to win it but uh they got
2: competitors no doubt price wars I can't wait.
1: And that's
0: win.
2: Well- levered Reeds. <laughs> win, levered reads.
1: <laughs> that's uh that's time, folks. Thanks so much. It's always fun. Uh we'll see you same time next week. I'm gonna be off we're all gonna be off the week after that, but uh we're all good for next week. See you then
0: shake it up, stop when the clock 13 Because like no one can